0: Welcome to the World Bank EdTech Podcast. Today we're speaking about implementing EdTech initiatives during the emergency and recovery phases of COVID, specifically lessons from South Asia and Latin America. World Bank Senior Education and Technology Policy Specialist and Global Lead for Technology and Innovation in Education, Robert Hawkins, is speaking with World Bank Manager of Global Engagement and Knowledge in the Education Global Practice, Omar Arias. World Bank Practice Manager for Education in Latin America and the Caribbean, Emanuela DiGropolo, and World Bank Practice Manager for the South Asia region in the education global practice, Christian
1: Welcome to the World Bank EdTech Podcast, a conversation on the use of technology and innovation in education globally. My name is Bob Hawkins. I'm the Global Lead for Technology and Innovation at the World Bank. We're very pleased to have with us today Omar Arias, who leads our Global Knowledge and Innovation in Education Unit, Emanuela Di Gropolo, who leads our work in Latin America, and Christiane Edo, who manages our work in the South Asia region. Welcome. We're very excited to do a bit of a retrospective today. It was uh, almost a year ago exactly that we launched two twin reports, one on realizing the future of learning, and our EdTech strategy paper on reimagining human connections. Both reports were commissioned before COVID and were launched, as we all know, as, as schools were, were closing and closed around the world as a result of COVID. I wanted, to uh, Omar, to engage you first as uh, the protagonist of both of these reports. And I wonder if you can tell us a little bit about kind of the impetus and history of these reports as they were started before COVID and their timeliness as a result of COVID.
2: Well, thank you. Thank you very much, uh, Bob. And it's fantastic to be here with my esteemed colleagues, Christian and Emanuela, in this uh, conversation. So with regards to your question, when reflecting a little bit about it beforehand, I don't know if we were pre scient when we started working on those two pieces of analytical work. We started them, as you said, before uh, the pandemic. In fact, most of the conclusions and key messages already we had developed before the pandemic, but we had not finished them. And then COVID hit. The reason why we started them was because we realized that in education, we're often very focused on the key issues of how do we get kids uh, to learn today? How do we support teachers? What is needed to support that magical interaction between kids and, and teachers? How does the system need to be managed? I mean, we rarely take a sort of uh, forward look perspective in terms of thinking how our policies and investments today should be consistent with building systems that are robust and resilient towards the future. If you think about how investments in big infrastructure projects, highways, then work is usually engineers think about resilience and robustness. They need to remain not just relevant, but actually efficient 10, 15, 20 years down the line. So we said, okay, that question, what would that do to the way we think about our policies and investments uh, in education? And uh, that ended up uh, leading us to a path with, I think, messages and conclusions that were relevant before COVID and COVID just underscored even more their relevance. And I, I will just uh, stop now sharing two points. I think the first key realization we had was that no matter how we think about education in terms of inputs and services being delivered, at the end of the day, the key thing is that children learn best when they experience rigor and feel a sense of purpose in school and those three are important and in that order actually that specific order if they're not enjoying learning they will not be engaged if they don't go at it uh, with rigor they will not experience the benefits of deliberate uh, practice and if they don't feel that they're learning for a purpose, again, their long-term engagement will be undermined. And then the second thing, and this actually we had not stressed as much before COVID. We realized, uh, and I think it has been clear from COVID, that resilience and equity in education are two sides of the same coin. I mean, the key issue during school closures have been that in order to maintain some learning continuity between the home and the school, we need to be sure that kids are supported at home and parents have a, a fundamental role. Of course, there's also the issue that access to technology, the digital device, have been a, a key factor creating inequalities. Therefore, you know, if we don't have equity in both parental support, parental resources, and also access to the mechanisms that can ensure efficient remote learning, we will not have resilient systems. So again, I don't know if it was pre-signed, but it has been really interesting that uh, we started these reports before the pandemic ended up really underscoring key points uh, when we think about the future of learning.
1: Fantastic points. And it's actually amazing that we haven't done this earlier. I mean, considering the fact that our normal project takes five years to implement, and the results of that investment usually take 10 years to realize, we should be doing a lot more foresighting, thinking about what the world will look like, 15 years in the future as we're designing our our projects. I think what we did was really interesting in terms of a, a process to imagine what systems should look like as they move forward into the future with our investments. I think the other points you make around joy, rigor, and purpose, as well as resilience and equity, get to the points that have emerged from some of our effectiveness studies on remote learning, the importance of having engaging content, as well as the importance of what has emerged as a new digital access divide. Uh, and they need to think about equity in delivering educational services with many countries mixing modalities of repurposing radio content, TV, mixing that with mobile, as well as online to reach students during school closures. Christian, I'd like to bring you into the discussion as you were kind of one of the co-leads uh, for this paper on the future of learning and, and also leading the dialogue with one of the regions, of South Asia with the longest school closings due to the pandemic. Can you share a little bit about how these reports helped frame your discussions with ministries of education in South Asia at the beginning of the crisis and what were some of the major EdTech initiatives the region implemented during the emergency phase and now as schools are starting to open up a bit in the recovery phase?
3: Thank you, Bob. And then it's a pleasure to be here with uh, you and uh, my colleagues, Omar and Emanuela. Uh, you are right. The South Asia region was one of the longest region with, with the longest uh, school closures. Uh, countries in the sub region, I think, prioritize lockdowns at the beginning to ensure students and teachers safety. We have countries like uh, Bangladesh, which experienced 18 months of uh, school closures, uh, some of the longest globally, I think. And in Pakistan, India and Nepal, for example, schools were open uh, for very short periods and then quickly shut down again, leading to effective school closures uh, of almost a year. I I think the country's response were remarkable throughout the region in its speed, its reach and its agility. And we as World Bank, we have a privileged seat on the table to really help countries with our operations in a time that not much evidence was there to set up a response and nobody could anticipate at that time the length of the emergency. In terms of speed and reach, uh, within months of a school closure, Dishka in India was up. I mean, it was really running before the crisis. Christian, uh, Diksha
1: is the learning platform, correct? Yes, Uh, uh, Dishka
3: is the Indian government online learning portal, which was operating before the crisis. But within a month, uh, they have registered over 610 million views uh, of the material education material they have there in bangladesh more than 9.2 million university students had attended online classes within a month of university closures in Pakistan, the government responded very quickly by launching two major initiatives through dedicated TV channels. The same in, in Nepal, local teachers gathered at radio station and took turns to prepare and distribute lessons through radio programs. So the response was really very, very fast and with lots of reach. I also mentioned agility, and then you touch upon that both in your in your in your comments. Uh, Systems were very good uh, at leveraging multiple type of remote learnings from sophisticated online platforms uh, such as Teachka and others to TV lessons like in Pakistan, but also to distribution of printed materials to make sure that even the poorest students are rich. And this was very important because in the South region, only 7% of students from pre-primary to upper-secondary have access to internet in comparison to nearly 60% having access to TV. So I think that as painful as the pandemic has been, it has revealed huge systemic problems and has also forced us to experiment with new ways of education provision. And this is the opportunity side and where we see the intersect with the piece and the report that we prepare. Countries have realized that they cannot go back to a status quo and that they really need to discard that what no longer serves us and embrace new innovation that work well. So what are we seeing in the region as countries recovering? First, systems are shifting from emergency remote learning to more sustained models that blend remote learning with teacher-led instruction. This is leading us closer to the idea that learning happens anywhere and at the time that we discuss in our paper and at the time as we discuss with Omar and others on realizing the future of learning. So that was one of the main ideas of that paper. We're also seeing that the most effective EdTech methods are slowly being integrated as complementary or supplementary aid with classroom teaching, to drive learning and keep students engaged. The third that we are seeing is an increased usage of online platforms that facilitate personalized teacher professional development, the coach model that the bank is promoting through our operations, and platforms that really can be used to deliver impact at a scale within a budgetary constraint such as we are seeing in large scale in the case of the Punjab province in Pakistan, in which they have a teacher professional development online, reaching almost 90% of their primary teachers on a weekly basis. Also, there is a consensus that COVID has increased the disparity in the learning levels of students, and this has increased the acceptance and demand for solutions that can deliver a personal learning experience. As an example, for example, in India, four states are investing in artificial intelligence-based, personalized adaptive learning for middle and high school students. So my sense, uh, Rapinab, is that solutions that are able to better engage students and adapt learning material to their learning levels represent the kind of innovation that will continue to be a part of regular teaching and learning after the pandemic and make us closer to the vision we had in the realizing of the future of learning report.
1: You mentioned kind of three key points that we're kind of seeing in many countries across the world that I think there's lots of scope for kind of sharing lessons learned. One is kind of the movement towards hybrid or blending blended models. I think countries are struggling with exactly what that means. So it'll be good maybe uh, when we come back to you to kind of share a little bit about kind of how countries in South Asia are defining blended learning. The second is the role of the teachers, which we've emphasized in our strategy paper, the importance of technology to empower teachers. And at the end of the day, learning as a social endeavor and an engagement between individuals and the opportunities to rethink the way that teacher professional development is done. So it's just in time, it's relevant, and it's really continuous. And it's, it's maybe done through networks as well, which I think we've seen in India as a result of Diksha. And then your final point on the opportunities and the potential of personalized learning. I think this is going to be a huge issue when schools reopen and the needs to recover learning losses and the opportunities to what has always been a problem in our our schools of teaching at the right level of students being graduated to seventh grade math when they actually only have a a third grade math knowledge. So it'll be very interesting to learn from the South Asia region on what are the specific Solutions that they're putting in place to teach at the right level using technology, more personalized the educational approach. And what is the impact, again, going back to teachers on how teachers need to kind of manage? Emanuela, let me let me bring you into the discussion. If, if you can maybe reflect a little bit on the situation in Latin America, where, again, there's a there's a long, interesting history in countries such as Uruguay with Plan Ceibal and, and Chile with Enlaces, Costa Rica, Brazil, Argentina and many others uh, on the use of ed tech. Uh, and i'm curious what were some of the initial requests for investments that you received edtech investments for ministries of education in the region during the uh, the pandemic and the school closures and what have they achieved now that we're a year and a half into this what's been the results And then how have these demands evolved now that some of the countries are starting to reopen and beginning to focus on recovery of learning loss? Uh, Emanuela?
0: It's really a pleasure to be here. As has been very well described by Omar and by Christiane, the pandemic uh, has had huge implications in terms of school closures. And from that perspective, LAC actually has been the region as far as I know, with the longest school closures. This has, in a way, obliged countries early on to think about innovative solutions on how to pursue some level of learning while schools were being closed, which brings demands. What were the demands? and what has been achieved during those school closings. So as you also say, some countries were more advanced than others in the region, Chile, Uruguay, Brazil, and could start from a higher basis. But many others were much less advanced and honestly had put very little thinking on remote learning and how to design and implement it. So at the beginning, at the very beginning of the pandemic, there were a lot of requests on how platforms could be developed with what content, how even to set up TV education, how to agree with with a major network to set this up. There there were a lot of demands on how, strictly speaking, really move ahead to implement some some minimum level of remote learning. Again, some countries were more prepared, but almost starting from scratch. as the pandemic unrolled, all countries really made exceptional efforts, I would say, to step up. Looking at the statistics, for instance, 80% of, of the countries in luck were able to implement design online platforms or TV education programs, focusing on multimodal modality for distance learning both online devices, but also TV education. There was a significant effort put on that strategy, varying a little bit with some countries focusing more on, on TV, on radio, and some other countries focusing more on platforms. At the same time, we see that over 80% of the country also stepped up their support to teachers in using, making the best of TV and radio education, which is good to know, at least with with basic instructions. And finally, an attempt was also made to involve parents in the education of their children, including through SMS messaging, phone call. So in other words, most countries really stepped up in terms of multimodal solutions during the pandemic. Mexico with its Aprender en Casa that was building on its tradition of TV education. Chile building on the enlace to do an innovative learning platform for all, Uruguay building on the Plan Saibal to roll out a fairly advanced national platform which was able to also build on good connectivity level, but also Colombia, who had maybe less in terms of prior technological investment, for instance, with cell com- cellular companies on zero rating for teaching and learning through, Swiss, basically, which is called the Colombia Apprender Mobile Initiative. So all countries have, have stepped up. Which I think is, is very important to recognize. But touching on your third point, really, Bob, although a lot has been achieved, clearly challenges have remained in the region. And, and what we have seen is that most of these remote learning initiatives have not really fully replaced what the face to face can do. In fact, the very recent data from a phone survey have shown that up to one-fourth of the students have disengaged, unfortunately, from learning processes, which, is, which tells us that there's been success, but up to a point. And it is in this context that the next phase, is, which is a phase of school gradually reopening, the, the next phase is really about ensuring that learning recovery happens, and happens fast, and, and it's also about making sure those most provising innovation and tech innovation can really help at the recovery stage. And there, I could not agree more about the point of Christian on the importance of individualized, personalized learning. This was already a big issue before the pandemic. It became even more during the pandemic because remote learning is not that necessarily great for personalized teaching. And now, is the big challenge moving ahead on how to recover learning losses and build back better. Pursuing strategies to teach at the right level, either low high tech or high high tech. For instance, in in a number of countries, there's been a development of adaptive platforms, in particular for math. In the DR, in Ecuador, where we're already seeing pretty good results. And, And the question will be how we can build and scale up to really get to the result uh, that we want. There are also other promising applications, like how to improve education management information system for the long run, how to implement effective early warning systems using technology and and others. I think there is a lot of openness at this point, like never before, actually, in luck to build on some of the innovation that are working better to, to really start recovering learning.
1: So that that is super interesting. And I'm going to follow up on on two questions. Uh, One is this idea that what was unique about Latin America was the shared language. And what we saw early on in the pandemic were a number of countries sharing resources. Uh, And I'm wondering whether you see opportunities in the region for developing other kind of common global public goods. And then the second point I wanted to kind of raise with regard to disengagement, which is a huge issue in all of our countries. But I think particularly in Latin America, it was a huge issue even before the pandemic with the large dropout rate. And I wonder if you can talk about these two issues, opportunity for collaboration uh, across the region and the way that technology might be able to address those Kids that are out of school, those kids that have dropped out and are disengaged as a result of the the pandemic, and ways to bring them back into the educational process. Manuela?
0: Many thanks, Bob. Absolutely. I, I couldn't agree more that with the advantage of the common language, opportunity for knowledge sharing are huge. In fact, right at the beginning of the pandemic, to share simply, as I say, to share material, to share what works, to share how to do things, to design and implement remote learning strategies, because again, many countries hadn't really thought through so that. And as things move move ahead, the reopening, we are seeing a lot of appetite to continue to share. And in fact, we are supporting that knowledge sharing through a new series called Return to Schooling and Learning in Lack. And and where I see most of the appetite right now is, is really on teaching at the right level and adaptive learning. I believe on on that adaptive learning platform discussion, LAC is also pretty well positioned to participate to a public good as there are a lot of experiences happening in various countries. And I believe we could learn quite a lot from that. Another strategy in high demand relates, for instance, to setting up effective early warning systems. how to identify and support those use at risk, which also require good data and, and good platforms to actually be implemented. We are organizing, in fact, an event next week on that. This also maybe relates to the second question, Bob. Yes, dropout has always been an issue in luck. Also pre-pandemic, in particular for upper secondary students, at times related to low learning, in many cases, socioeconomic disadvantage. So, how technology, how you know, can help us to address this. I think we could have the opportunity to build on some of the remote hybrid learning strategies in LAC to actually reach out to more disadvantaged communities, as long as this is combined with some sort of multimodal strategy, which are not only relying on connectivity, and I believe we could also use some of those learning modalities, alternative or second chance education programs as well, which could at least, if not reintegrate students in school, offer them some credible alternative. So I think I think this is one area. Another area is that one of early warning systems, as I was mentioning, those platforms, those strategies could actually be very helpful to continue identifying those youth more at risk Also after the pandemic, what are their characteristics, where they are and how to target effort on them? And again, we we are having very interesting experiences being developed as we speak, for instance, in Chile, in Peru, in Brazil, but also Mexico. And I think we could build on that.
1: Thanks, Emanuela. One of the five principles in our approach paper is be data-driven. And I think this is a huge theme that will continue to be important in our projects is how to effectively use data, not just for system management, but for these targeted interventions on early warning systems and for learning analytics, as well as the whole area of personalized learning that we've talked about. Christian, I'd like to bring you back into the discussion, particularly on this issue of, of global public goods, because I think the experience that you, you talked about earlier in the conversation around how the different countries have uh, responded to the emergency phase and the recovery phase, but also building in ideas around resilience and what the school system of the future will will look like. What is hybrid and blended learning in the context of South Asia? And I'm wondering if you can share with us some of your reflections on what you're seeing as models that are uh, emerging. And what might be some global public goods or lessons that can be shared from the region to other countries? A couple of years ago, before the pandemic, we actually brought representatives from Peru and Costa Rica to India to learn about the Diksha model. Do you see that and other opportunities for leveraging the experience in South Asia as global public goods for both the region as well as globally? Uh, Christian?
3: Absolutely. And then we will soon invite the government of the state of Gujarat from India, who are really developing a very remarkable initiative of putting together and linking all of different databases and then having data at the student level and even at each professor-teacher level data in an integrated command center in which you can really imagine that you can envision the education of the future. You can start thinking about personalized learning paths, personalized professional development paths for teachers and the like. So they are very good examples in the region that we would like to really showcase in the idea of generating public goods and sharing knowledge. But in terms of your question on teachers and hybrid system levels, I think what we have currently in the region, we have portals almost in all the, the countries with lots of materials, educational materials for both students and teachers. We have material developed also for different audiences and through the reach out to different means. We have teachers that are now through experience through COVID to really deal and teach distance. So at the beginning, there were issues, but nowadays all teachers are experienced on how to deliver distant teachers and so forth. I see where the key challenges are to really build a system which is resilient to future shocks that might come, and also to build the school of the future. The first one is connectivity and technology. The crisis really showed that ensuring that all children have access to connected devices will go a long way in securing learning continuity, even in difficult and disruptive times. The connectivity that can be leveraged to really have impact in times of regular schooling by offering opportunities for personalized learning, as we have discussed. Coaching for teachers, which is also key, and also giving struggling students access to targeted and customized materials and support. And I think that Emanuela was mentioning that now we will have a school reopened in the same grade children's which are completely different in terms of their learning some of them have maintained some of the skills another have lost a big amount so the need to be personalized i think is is extremely important in my region however connectivity is extremely uh, elusive i already mentioned that seven percent of students have access to internet so i think here we see a greater focus is required on public-private partnership, especially in harnessing, leveraging connectivity and technology. And, and that's an, an important lesson. Here, I'm thinking about technology can be an equalizer, but to un- really unleash its power, we have to think more broadly than just the latest Chinese gadget or fancy online solution. Instead, we have to really leverage technologies that are already accessible to the poor which are our main concern in terms of equity. And here I'm talking about mobile phones. For example, we just did a pilot in Nepal in which we piloted delivering remote lessons to primary students via uh, mobile phones. And then we have gathering very promising impact evaluation results estimates that there is an increase in student proficiency in foundational numeracy. And as a consequence of this result, this program is really scaled up. But the second, so connectivity is one of the elements that we need and is a big challenge. The second is data, as we have already uh, emphasized a lot. And then uh, in here, we are thinking about technologies, a solution for learning assessment, for example, new ways of doing either portal-based or maybe telephone-based learning assessment and examinations, which I think is a big concern for the governments in the region. And then of course, once you have this data, and then as we have already, mentioned we can use it for personalized learning such as in India as part of an early warning system that can help identify at risk students and minimize learning shortfalls or dropouts such as uh, we are doing in Pakistan and also allow government to track whether learning is recurring what factors are driving improvements, and who is being left behind, as the case I was referring in the case of the state of Gujarat in India. We have seen throughout the region an enormous interest in strengthening MIS systems, linking different databases for data, creating unique student IDs so that students can be tracked throughout the system, not only in education, but also in their access to health services, social protection services for their families, and also in investing in national system. And one element that Emanuela and Omar has really identified is the area of support. Here, really, the pandemic has demonstrated the enormous value of a strong support system to students, so that they can maintain their learning for teachers so that they can cope but also for parents and this i think form an integral part of their resilience education architecture that we can support in pakistan and bangladesh for example support to students and parents in the form of stipends and direct outreach is making really a tremendous difference in minimizing dropouts as a school reopened in india teacher networks has been a really powerful force In keeping teaching morale up hopefully the pandemic is uh winding down Uh, i think really it's a good time to really reimagine education and consider the value of anywhere anytime learning especially for lifelong learning that will be necessary in the future for our children but also increasingly for us today and bob you mentioned that just think that a student who is entering today the education system hopefully after 17 years of graduation will be entering the working life, let's say, by 2038, really. So the issue of how you set up a system and learners who are prepared for lifelong learning is key and essential.
1: A few points are super important that you you emphasize. One is this issue of support. Again, the title of our strategy paper is Reimagining Human Connections. At the end of the day, it's how technology can make these connections feasible that otherwise weren't possible. I think the other important interesting aspect is how much innovation that this pandemic has unleashed and the opportunities to tap into that innovation in ways in which governments can better identify what are those innovations in their country and how they can bring them to their schools, which gets to your point around PPPs, private public partnerships and ecosystems. We've just launched a community of practice with WISE and with a number of other partners around developing innovation hubs and and ecosystems, which is again, one of the pillars of the strategy, engage ecosystems. Finally, the other interesting point is the opportunities for teachers. As we're seeing in every profession, that the pandemic has kind of opened opportunities to work anywhere, anytime. I've seen statistics of an economist in, in California that was limited to the schools in California suddenly has hundreds of job opportunities around the world. I think the same will apply to the excellent teachers to be able to teach anytime, anywhere, in any country And I think this will be a fascinating trend to follow. Omar, let me come back to you. I think we've talked a lot about these very interesting experiences in South Asia, in LAC, a large number of opportunities to leverage these innovations in the form of global public goods. I wonder if you can reflect a little bit on where you see the most important challenges and and obstacles to be able to learn from these experiences uh, and deliver this experience to other countries in Africa and ECA and and other parts of the world.
2: Well, thank you, again. For, for the question and the advantage of coming back into the conversation after Christian and Emanuela is that uh, they have said most of what, frankly, I could also say on, on this question. So let, let me just try to maybe just underscore a few things and maybe also give a few examples on your question of the, the types of global public goods that can be helpful. I think the main thing I would stress is the idea that Technology and education technology in particular is not a magic bullet, but it has to be part of the solution, both to recover from the crisis, but also to accelerate learning and make sure that we build back better, more equitable, effective, and resilient education systems. And I think for that to happen, we really need to have a ruthless focus on equity. So far, technology has been a great divider for the reasons that both Christian and Emanuela pointed out, both in terms of the big inequalities in connectivity, access to digital devices and so forth. Some countries have been very conscious of that and have uh, adopted uses of multimodal modes for distance education and, and remote learning, radio, TV. And, and I think you know, given the constraints that many countries face, definitely that is a smart approach. With that and and obviously the investments that already Christian and Emanuela pointed to that need to happen to close those gaps, we can turn technology into being the great equalizer from being currently the great divider. Now in doing that, again as has been said, the focus really needs to be on how do we use technology as a tool to enhance the effectiveness of teachers and in particular harness its power for connectedness. Uh, It is that meaningful two-way interaction uh, between teachers and children, but also between children themselves and between teachers as they learn from each other, which uh, can actually move us to uh, an equilibrium in which more kids uh, learn and and learning is accelerated for everybody. And technology uh, has great potential to enhance that uh, connectedness. It is no longer the case that the peers of children or of teachers need to be in the same classroom or even in the same school or region in in a country. So I think that focus on teachers, the interaction with children and the connectedness between children and teachers can be an important focus. Some of the global public goods that can help on that, we've been investing in our case, and a shout out to you, Bob, and the tech team globally. We have been investing in producing these resource packages on how to use radio, how to use TV, what are the efficient ways of focusing on building digital skills for children and teachers, how do we procure technology, particularly digital devices, I think all of those can can be very helpful because it will allow countries not to reinvent uh, the wheel. Tools like TEACH, which we developed before the pandemic, uh, is a classroom observation tool, can be uh, incredibly helpful because at the end of the day part of what is needed and perhaps the most important thing that is needed in, in order to improve teacher effectiveness is to observe what teachers do in the classroom and give them in terms of the areas where they can improve and we need to be very systematic and evidence-based about it and classroom observations to like teach which we've developed with the idea that it's a truly global public good it's free anybody can use it and it has been adapted to uh, the context in which uh, we work low capacity and low resources we are actually working on digitalizing teach precisely to use the power of digital technologies to, to deliver uh, services at scale. The point again also that was made on engaging parents, which uh, we have all stressed, is absolutely key. Uh, already Christian and Manuela gave examples. Even before the pandemic, mobile phones were being used in, in some uh, school systems to engage with parents through text messages with very simple reminders that your kids have homework or they have a test coming up, or they missed a class today. I think very busy parents, but committed to their children's education can benefit a lot from those very simple devices. And again, with the high levels of mobile penetration that we have, even in regions like Sub-Saharan Africa, these are completely feasible and actually pretty low cost. So again, with that view of using technology as an effective tool, to improve equity. I should mention as another example, the use of assistive technologies for making sure there's access for children with disabilities. When we talk about learning for all, we really need to mean it. So in the question of how do we personalize learning goes exactly into that because for some children, the obstacles to accessing the curriculum or benefiting from learning have to do with constraints that are not necessarily physical disabilities. And by personalizing learning, we, we also make sure that they, they have access to, to learning opportunities. And I guess the final point I will make is something that is stressed in our education approach, but also particularly in the edtech approach paper, is that it really takes a village to achieve these goals. We really need to make sure that we rally all the actors around learning, public, private sector, of course, teachers, school principals, and parents. It is absolutely key uh, that we build those uh, ecosystems that are really, really anchored on improving children's learning. Let me stop there, Bob.
1: Fantastic concluding thoughts. The point on the global public goods of the opportunity to help countries understand the what, what's happening around the world, this discovery of all of the incredible innovations happening in Latin America and South Asia, but then more importantly, the how, kind of the how, the practical guides of how then you implement these these innovations with a laser focus on equity and the most marginalized, which kind of gets to our, our one, of, one of our five principles again, for all at scale. So I think this is, a, this is a fantastic way to kind of summarize what we at the global level want to do over the, the coming year as we We continue to support countries with their recovery of learning losses and think about building in this resilience for schools of the future. We usually end these podcasts with giving all of you an opportunity to share one book or podcast and a call to action for our listeners. So Omar, let me go back to you with um, a book, podcast, and a call to action. Omar?
2: First, in terms of reading, I I should point every uh, listener to the report we just launched this week together with UNESCO and UNICEF on the state of the global education crisis. We really try there to make a really strong call for action, to prioritize the reopening of schools and and their evidence suggests that it can be done and should be done safely and obviously to be prepared with national coherent learning recovery plans with many of the elements we have discussed today something which is not on education and not a a, a world bank report a book i finished actually some time ago but has had a big influence on me in the way i think is a book by todd rose from harvard university called the end of average and what that book does is really underscores the fact that in everything we we see in human experience averages are deceiving and, and again, we've talked today a lot about the importance of personalized learning uh, and this book actually has great examples as to why that is absolutely key when, when it comes to developing human capital. And then uh, podcast, I'm, I'm a very avid uh, listener of the Free economies series. There's really good ones there on behavioral change which again is absolutely key uh, to education and and I invite everybody to if they haven't uh, listened to to connect to those
1: thanks Omar you've contributed to my Christmas list uh, for, for this year let's go to Emanuela Many
0: thanks, Bob. Well, in our case, in terms of the report, uh, I will have to mention, I guess, the Acting Now report published in LAC last fiscal year and whose message is still extremely valid, I would say. The, the call for action of the report was basically to have countries start reopening the schools, but beyond that, also st- start to get ready for for an effective learning recovery. We can really relate that as well to technology in as far as we get ready to build on on those innovations that can have more potential for both the short-term the medium term and the longer term. So I would leave you with the call for action, which is really readiness, readiness, readiness (laughs) for learning recovery, doing effectively, build smartly on innovations integrate. Then I'd like to invite people to look at a recent podcast that was prepared by our education specialist on DR and Ecuador on the design implementation and effectiveness of adaptive learning platform for math in these two countries. These are very well done pilots, which I think are generating very useful results on what to do and not to do with adaptive learning platforms.
1: I like that. Christian, how about on your side? I,
3: I will recommend uh, a book that I'm currently reading and I found very, very interesting, which is uh, learner Center Leadership, a blueprint for transformational change in learning communities by Devin uh, Boditka. And then in terms of a podcast, I will really encourage listeners to listen to uh, World Bank, a podcast on transforming teacher professional development system through high quality classroom observations and feedback. Lessons from Punjab, in which we did have the minister of education, of school education from Punjab, Dr. Ras, and a leading researcher on teacher evaluations and feedback, Dr. Kraft from Brown University in this conversation. So it's really an amazing conversation from a, a practitioner who has implemented to a scale teacher professional development online through COVID with a researcher. And then in terms of action, we know that COVID-19 has really caused unprecedented disruptions to learning and schooling for many children and families. And now we need to focus on remediating uh, the learning losses, the massive learning losses that we are seeing. But also we really have a great opportunity to build forward better and put students really at the center of what we want to do. And with that, we have the opportunity to also reimagine schools to support the development of the students or these, as I prefer to call them, lifelong learners that are really prepared for that rapidly and very unknown changing world. So with that, I I think that would be my call.
1: Well, thank you all for participating today in this conversation, sharing your experience and lessons from our work in Latin America, as well as South Asia, and how this might apply to countries around the world that are thinking about recovery and building resilience uh, into their systems to realize this vision uh, for the uh, future of education. And also, I encourage everyone, we have now a, a very substantial body of podcasts, and I encourage all of our listeners to delve into past episodes on ADAPT learning on ecosystems, on teachers. Uh, we had kind of the teacher of the year uh, on one of the podcasts as well. So thanks, everybody.